Hello, welcome to Tis Talk. Welcome to Tis Talk. This is a podcast coming from Tisbury, Wiltshire and surrounding villages. I'm Julianne Murphy. And I'm Mary Myers. This is the week beginning of the 4th of December. Did you know that the RAF does music as well as flying? No, we didn't either. But we tracked down Ian Kendrick in Tucking Mill. He talked about his long career as head of music at the RAF. And he also talked about meeting Vera Lynn. She said, yes, come on, come have tea with us. And so I went to them to their house and had a very nice old chat. The coldest day of winter so far this year has occurred and Peter Shalcross is reflecting on the weather, new calves and hedgehogs. It was extremely rare or impossible to see any hedgehogs from about 20 years ago to about four years ago and now I see them regularly every week on the farm. Ines Lopez de Riga carries on with the nature theme, talking about her involvement with the animal hospital and the Young Nature Watch group. I've rescued lots of different animals for the wildlife hospital from uh, hedgehogs, which are one of the most popular, to um, bats and even snakes. And to end with, before the Watsons, we have news of the 200 Club, where you can win up to £200 this month and support community housing at the same time. Follow us on Instagram at TizTalkRadio. Mary is in Tucking Mill with Ian Kendrick, a man who loved his job as a former director of music for the RAF. I'm with Ian Kendrick in his house in Knapp Hollow in Tucking Mill. Ian, you've had an amazing long career and you've only been in Tisbury 10 years, but that's nothing compared to how long you've spent doing exciting things all around the world, notably 20 years in Oman. But how would you describe your career in a nutshell? Well, I, I was always amazed that they paid me for doing something that I would have done for nothing. OK. Music is very special for me, and, um, and there they are. They're playing, okay. They were paying me to do it. So you were director of music for the Royal Air Force in the UK. Yes. And then you became the director of music for the Royal Air Force in Amman. Is that yes. correct? So you spent 20 years in Amman, and that was in the 70s, 80s. And before that, you were in the UK. Let's just dial right back. I was born in Glasgow, 1940. So you became a musician... What was your main instrument? From the age of eight, I played a small tuba. And I did that till I was about 30. I did solos and, and, and so on. Um, and after that, I changed to the conducting and uh, became a director of music. What's the role of music in the RAF? There is a demand for music for parades and for events. Bands started a couple of hundred years ago when the rich officers paid musicians to come and entertain them in their evening meals. But from that, they started using them for, for parades and for good relations with the public. And they found out that it worked. So from that, 
all the services actually advertise for musicians and employ them as such. So I understand there are several bands in the RAF. Uh, there used to be about six or seven when I first joined, but they, uh, they're now, I think it's three, three, three bands now. They're military bands, uh, so they do have uh, violins, but they don't play with the band, the concert band. The concert band is purely brass and percussion, woodwind. And during this time, were you carrying on playing the tuba? Having started at the age of eight, I carried on till I was 30. But then when I changed to being commissioned and becoming an officer, it was time then to, to change from playing to conducting. Now, I understand you've had a rather glittering career playing at the Royal Festival Hall, meeting Vera Lynn, um, all sorts of things. Perhaps you could tell us about meeting Vera Lynn. Actually, Vera Lynn was married an Air Force musician and I was doing a, a job in Park Lane and I met her there. I was right, of course, was writing the history of music in RAF, so I immediately said, well, can I speak to you and question you about the wartime? Mm. She said, yes, come on, come have tea with us. Nice. And so I went to them to their house and had a very nice old chat. And so you've written a couple of books. I've written uh, seven books. Sorry, seven books. <laughs> wow. And you have also lectured about Arabic music and Western music and the comparing and contrasting of the two styles of music. They all included bagpipe bands. And you may wonder why they've got bagpipe bands in an Arabic group. Well, the simple thing is, is that the bang pipes were originally an instrument in Egypt. And what happened was, is that the Christian armies that went out, the Crusaders, they went out and they took the bagpipes back to England and introduced them to Europe. About 600 years later, the Scots people got hold of them. They were originally... From the Middle East. They, they were Arabic in the Middle East, yes, yes. how interesting. But in Amman, you had an exciting time. You've told me about diving, being a diving leader, going all over in Land Rovers, all amongst the sand dunes yes, and well, so we, on. we went caving. For caving, okay. I, I, my wife and I had a boat and, and we'd go diving to see the fantastic fish fishes and corals there. So then what brought you to Tisbury? I understand that was uh, 10 years ago, well, 2013. Yes. Well, it, well, very simple. My, my son was already living here with his family. I, I, I was quite amazed to find out how many things are here in this, in this village that you don't normally get in a mm. village. And um, I'm quite amazed at how many organizations there are for, for sports or for looking after the environment it's a, it's an amazing place mm. uh, what about the musical life of tisbury do you think oh, it's good? i am involved in that yes maxwell steer has been very good hasn't he that's right yes the the, the cherubim again i never imagined that in a, a small village you get music of the quality that I'm experiencing mm. since I came mm. regularly every year. And it's, it's, it's very, very satisfying. 
Ian, thank you very much for telling us a, just a tiny portion of your interesting career. Now we have a little fun series of questions. What gets you out of bed in the morning, Ian? Um, I've always got up at six o'clock since, since I was a young, young mother, and I, I'm, I'm still doing it at 83. And what's your favourite disc that you'd take to a desert island? That was the, the RAF March. And so you would take that Royal Air Force March to a desert island? Yes. Yes. What do you most like about Tisbury? Well, the amount of, of, of things, that, opportunities that are here. And what about dislike? Do you dislike anything about Tisbury? But they haven't got a big brass band that I could can conduct. <laughs> it doesn't have a brass band that you could conduct. OK. Um, what's your favourite local view? My back garden, I think. We have a little stream going through... The odd brook. That's calming, mm. calming when I'm angry. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Now, complete this sentence. Not many people know this about Tisbury, but... I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> OK, that's a nice one. All right, now, this is quick fire. Dogs or cats? Neither. OK. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Beer or wine? Beer. Football or rugby? Rugby. Radios one, two or three for music? Oh, three, I think. Good. Well, thank you very much, Ian. My pleasure. That was the RAF March Past for Ian Kendrick. Tis Talk, a podcast from Tisbury on tistalk.buzzsprout.com. From brass bands to brass monkeys, Peter Shalcross is feeling the cold on Walmead Farm. Peter Shalcross, 1st of December. I think it's the first day of winter officially, and it certainly feels like it. It was minus two or three overnight, the coldest since mid-March, so it really feels cold. And um, at least it's dried up because we've had incessant rain, it seems like, for months, and at least um, we've got a few days dry, and it has meant we can get the muck spreader going. So Nick's, Nick and Alan are on, on that duty today, yesterday, for a few days. And what we're spreading is well-rotted farmyard manure. So it's in a solid state. Um, it's very low in nitrates, um, high in organic matter, which is what we want. And what it means is the worms will have lots of time to break it all down and, and carry it um, through uh, into the soil. So by the time spring comes, there'll be no sign of it whatsoever. Yeah, so that's, that's good. So the fact it's dry means that the, the ground has had a chance to absorb the rain and, it can, and, the, and the ground can take the weight of the tractor. And the fact it's frosty is doubly good because the, you know, the very thin layer on top, the top layer is frozen. And so again, it can, it can hold the weight of the tractor and the heavy muck spreader. 
So we're, I'm just standing by the, the carving box and there's two cows in here. Well, at least one is a heifer, so she's just had her first calf, a lovely black calf. So there's, there's a red and white heifer here with a black calf. And also there's one of the oldest cows in the herd, uh, number 226, I'm afraid she hasn't got a name. And she's got a ginger brown calf because this cow is uh, half Jersey. And so she throws a particular type of calf as well. And that calf is meant to be black because its dad is a black Angus. But because she's uh, brown, that's, that seems to dominate. Two don't like each other's calf. So there's a bit, of, um, a bit of messing around going on where the calf, one calf moves around to, towards the other cow and it gets um, sort of knocked, knocked away. Um, that's one having a bit of a scratch on the gate. So the Norwegian red calf will stay with us. So um, it'll stay with its mum for at least seven days. And then it'll go and my daughter Caroline will rear it in with the rest of the calves. The Angus calf will, will stay, well, it'll stay for six months now because we're, the other thing to say is that we've been shut down with TB again, uninspectedly. So um, yeah, none of the calves will be able to be sold until I have two clear whole herd tests. So it'll be at least four months, probably longer before I can sell again. So last week we had a really good talk at the Natural History Society from a professor from the University of Reading all about hedgehogs. It was Phil Baker, he was a professor. So this was an expert on hedgehog ecology and he was talking about all the problems that present themselves to hedgehogs and what we can do to help them. And um, obviously, you know, the, the changes of farming are, are really a big issue for uh, declining hedgehog numbers because they declined, I think, 3,000 hedgehogs a year nationally every year. So it's a, it's a big decline. It's like a 40, 50% decline in numbers. And also he highlighted the, the slug pellet issue, roads. But one thing he did talk about, which for me is quite interesting, was the relationship between badger numbers and hedgehog numbers. When you get more than five, I think five badgers per square kilometre, there aren't any hedgehogs because badgers are a big predator of hedgehogs and when food is short, like in a very dry summer when the main food of the, the badger is gone, which is the earthworm, they have to look for other things and the hedgehog is a very handy snap so they can wipe out you know, all of the hedgehogs or nearly all of the hedgehogs in an area. So it's interesting because the information on that hasn't been widely shared but anecdotally, locally, hedgehog numbers have increased with lower badger numbers. So on the farm, it was extremely rare or impossible to see any hedgehogs from about 20 years ago to about four years ago. And now I see them regularly every week on the farm and we had to be very careful when we scrape the straw out of the calves because there's often a hedgehog making a nest in the back. And I've seen a mother with carrying four babies across the road by the scruff of the neck this year. All that kind of thing is, is really good. And one thing that Phil at the talk um, said was how much the wildlife hospital helped bringing the, the hedgehog numbers back because nationally they take in 6,000 hedgehogs a year. Um, a proportion do die, but about 3,000 are released back into the wild and, and that really helps the numbers increase again. So where they have been absent, it restarts the population. On the farmland, the, the slug pellets have been banned. The, the worst ones have been banned. I'm not sure about gardens, but best not to use them if possible. Lopez de Riga is a local archaeologist 
and someone who cares very much about nature. Mary talked to her about Young Nature Watch and volunteering at the Amesbury Animal Hospital. Thanks for coming on to this talk. I wanted to talk to you today about living nature, not all the dead stuff that you look at as an archaeologist. So firstly, about Young Nature Watch. Yeah, so we are part of the Tisbury and District Natural History Society and we organise activities for uh, young people to uh, get them interested in nature and develop their interests in a broad range of subjects from um, surveying for small mammals to um, finding footprints of different animals in the wood or um, dissecting our pellets, for example. And I know there was something about cleaning up beaches recently, wasn't there? Yeah, one of our recent events was a nurdle hunt in a beach. So we N- went... Nurdles? Yeah, That's so right. they are small plastic pellets. And they pollute our seas and our beaches. Yeah, together right. with other microplastics, they are a problem because they get eaten by a range of animals mm. and it prevents them from eating healthy and nutritious food. So they... Um, eventually die and also they accumulate toxins and these eventually lead to us eating toxins because we eat fish that have eaten um, microplastics so it's a very complicated uh, chain but it's not good news at all. No. So how active is the group and how many members are there? It depends on the type of event. Uh, So the most popular ones can get about 20 people Hmm. but um, others we get um, just a few. So we only accept uh, young people under 12 if they come with their parents. Uh, And then we have also young people from 12 upwards who can come unaccompanied. Uh, Most of the people we have are on the range of 5 and 12 and they just come for one or two hours with their parents. So they have a nice time Mm. outside and they learn things that they they can do by themselves uh, later on. Okay, Uh, but the upper age limit is what? We don't have upper age limit, so um, 80-something. Oh, okay, <laughs> fantastic. So our website is www.tisburynaturalhistory.com and then in the browse menu you can search for Young Nature Watch. Good. So now let me just ask you about another thing you do for nature, which is the Animal Hospital in Amesbury. The Wilshire Wildlife Hospital takes animals that need rehabilitation and they um, uh, rehabilitate them because of problems they've had, either injury or illness, Mm. and then release them into the wild after they've recovered from whatever they had. It's a completely voluntary organisation, so they have no public finance, so they rely on donations from people. If you find an injured animal and you uh, are concerned about potentially bird falling from a nest or something like that, you can always ring the wildlife hospital for advice. If you are able to then drive the animal to the wildlife hospital, if that's what they advise, then you are very uh, welcome to do so. Occasionally, if you are not able to drive or uh, rescue it, they may send a volunteer like me who can go and rescue it and um, take it to the hospital. I've rescued lots of different animals for the wildlife hospital from uh, hedgehogs, which are one of the most popular, to um, bats and even snakes. Mm. Uh, There are increasing numbers of hedgehogs being taken into care in the wildlife hospital. I am not certain if it's because there are more hedgehogs 
in need of uh, care or mm. because more people are aware that hedgehogs are struggling. But we do have a fairly healthy population of hedgehogs near us in Hindon. That's a very good spot where people see them often and feed them in the gardens and things like that. Mm. And and we do occasionally see hedgehogs in Tisbury. So we are looking to start a monitoring project next year. We get foxes in the Wildlife Hospital as well, and badgers and deer. Mm. So Amesbury is the nearest place, is it, for Tisbury? Yeah, uh, it's yeah. the Wiltshire Wildlife Hospital at Newtown Tony. There, are, there is another rescue centre in the north of the county, but um, for our area, that's the, the closest one. So you're saying that some people, I don't know, want to rescue animals and sometimes they don't actually need rescuing, is that right? Yeah, so the best advice in case of finding a possibly injured or distressed animal is to ring the Wildlife Hospital for advice where... You can describe the situation and they can give advice for that specific circumstance. Mm. So, for example, if mm. if a, a bird falls from its nest, they don't always need rescue because the parents will often take care of them while they're on the ground. Mm. It depends on the age of the bird and the type of, the, of bird, so it's always better to ring for advice. Same with um, other animals. Uh, occasionally we find babies of uh, deer, or hedgehogs that seem abandoned, but actually you may have interrupted the mother who was just uh, moving the nest or mm. was foraging and was going to come back for one of its babies. Mm. So always ring first before taking any animal because once you've taken the animal and removed it from nature, it's very difficult to return it and do the best thing for them. Mm. Yes, all right. Well, that's great advice. Thanks very much, Inez. So the number of the uh, Wildlife Hospital is 07850778752. If we could have the website of the Wildlife Hospital as well. Yeah, so it's uh, www.quiltshirewildlifehospital.co.uk and you have all the details there on the location of the hospital and how you can make a donation if you would like to support their work. Okay, lovely. Thanks very much. Now we have a message from Jerry Mason from the NADA Community Land Trust. The Trust's 200 Club will be holding its Christmas special prize draw on Saturday the 9th of December at the Tis the Season event. Prizes are doubled, so the first prize will be £200. There are still membership places available. Go to www.nadacommunitylandtrust.org and click on the 200 Club page for more information and an application form. Or listeners can contact Jerry on 07564 141 747 for a fast track membership. The cost is £5 per month and all funds raised go to supporting the work of the NADA Community Land Trust in providing affordable housing for local people. The cut-off date for new members to be included in the December draw will be extended to midnight on Wednesday the 6th of December. And now here is Loud Pointer with the What Songs. December festivities dominate the High Street on Saturday, but there is plenty going on in Tisbury before then. On Tuesday, the Tisbury Cadet Force Detachment will be in the Victoria Hall at 6.30 for 7pm, offering something different and challenging for young people. 
Also in the evening, Tisbury Parish Council is holding its December meeting in the Parish Reading Room on the High Street at 7pm and all are welcome. On Wednesday, the pop-up cafe will be in the Hinton Hall from 10am to 11.30am. Not only will there be tea and cake, but also various tabletop games that are proving very popular. And at the same time, 10 to 11.30 a.m., the Methodist Church will be holding tis tops before running seamlessly into its Communite Cafe lunch, which will run from 11.30 to 1.30 p.m. On Thursday afternoon, the afternoon tea ladies are holding a Christmas sing-along with Mark Walker in the Victoria Hall from 2.15 to 4.30 p.m. Call Marion to book on 870-813. On Thursday evening, Messam's Book Club is discussing Victoria Glendinning's The Butcher's Daughter, an original tale on Henry VIII's religious reformation. It's at 6pm and free. Just let Messams know you will be joining them by emailing west at messams.org. Tisbury Community Choir is also meeting on Thursday and will be in the Methodist Church from 7.30 to 9.30pm. On Friday afternoon, there is a Christmas fair at St John's Primary School, which will include festive songs and a visit from Santa. It's from 2 to 4 p.m. And there is a Christmas carol sing-along in the Methodist Church from 2.30 to 4 p.m. Now, Saturday has lots on offer. In the morning, there is Tisbury Footpath, a 5.8-mile circular walk passing through Kingston Deverell. Text Roger Walker to book your place on 07891 442 664. And also there is the much anticipated Tis the Season, providing fun throughout the day. From 10.30 to 4pm, the High Street will be humming with the return of the anonymous travelling market, with 35 stalls selling handmade produce and crafts. On Sunday, the Shine Seminars are running a day of talks on our invisible power from 10am to 6pm in the Hinton Hall. A healthy lunch and refreshments throughout the day are all included in the early bird price ticket of £55. To book, go to their website. Also on Sunday morning, Tisbury Community Orchard is running a fruit tree pruning workshop from 10 to 12.30pm. This event is free to attend. To find out more, email tisburypc at gmail.com. And on Sunday evening, the Barefoot Contessa, a 1954 American drama starring Humphrey Bogart and Ava Gardner, is being shown by the Magic Lantern Film Club in the Victoria Hall at 7pm, with doors opening at 6.30. Tickets are £8.00. And that's it for this week. You can contact us on tistalkradio at gmail.com. That's all from us. We've been Julianne Murphy and Mary Myers. And special thanks to contributors Keelan Pybus and Lau Pointer. (laughs) 